Ben. Good to be here tonight. Uh, you were supposed to get Ed Yorston, but you've got me instead. But it's really great to be here. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your life-giving word. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, you might teach us, encourage us, and correct us where we need to be corrected. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of my uh, favorite hymns is Holy, Holy, Holy. We're going to sing it tonight. Uh, it just reminds me that, that my God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So, so our God is, is set apart. Uh, he's pure. He's perfect. He's other. He's not just holy. He is holier than holy. He is holier than holy than holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I love just to think about how glorious and, and majestic and holy my God is. And then I read the scriptures and it says these challenging words, be holy for I am holy. Uh, so if you're here tonight as a Christian, as a, a, a child of God, then, then God is urging us. God is challenging us to, to, to pursue purity to pursue godliness, to strive for holiness in our lives, to be holy, because our God is holy. And so God says to us, be holy. And our world says to us, be tolerant. Be tolerant. I think tolerance is the buzzword of our culture. It's kind of like people today can do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whoever they want, and nobody has the right to question that. We're just called to tolerate anything and everything. People can be living the most depraved lives which are damaging to them and damaging to others, but we're not allowed to question that. We're just told to be tolerant. The only thing that you can't tolerate today is intolerance. So, so God says, be holy, and our world says, be tolerant. And that's the tension. Uh, A.W. Tozer says this, uh, I believe in Christian charity, but I don't believe in Christian tolerance. Uh, when we become so tolerant that we lead people into mental fog and spiritual darkness, we're not acting like Christians, we're acting like cowards. He's saying as Christians, we can't be tolerant of everything. That's right, isn't it? We, we shouldn't tolerate racial prejudice. We shouldn't tolerate injustice in our world. We shouldn't tolerate when the, the marginalized and the poor and the needy and the indigenous people are maltreated. We shouldn't tolerate anger and greed and hatred and murders. There, there are things that happen in this world that we should not tolerate. As Christians, as, as a church, we should love what God loves and hate what God hates. It's like being a parent. I've got four boys. If one of my boys says to me, Dad, I, I want to go and play in that main road, play with my trucks in that road. If I know that, that cars are going to go that road, that road 100 kilometers an hour, it is not loving me to say, oh, that's okay. It's your choice. It, make, it makes you happy. Do what you want. And the loving thing to do is to put boundaries for their good. So tonight we're talking about tolerance. Uh, Ephesus was the loveless church. Smyrna was the suffering church, Pergamon the compromised church, and Thyatira is the tolerant church. Uh, in this church, anything goes. 
And God condemns them, rebukes them for tolerating especially sexual immorality in the church. So this is the, uh, the, the fourth church. It's the, the central letter. It's the longest letter, which is really quite bizarre because it's the smallest city. Uh, Thyatira was the most insignificant city that Jesus wrote to. It's like Jesus wrote to Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, Brisbane, Darwin, and then just chucks in Broken Hill or Lightning Ridge. Apologies if you come from those towns. But they're kind of like... And you're thinking, why the heck is he writing to Thyatira? It's just this backwater town. Nothing happens there. Now, Thyatira was known for its wool and its clothing. The only other person from Thyatira in the Bible is Lydia in Acts chapter 6, 16, the first European convert, that dealer in purple cloth. So you've got this least significant city, and Jesus writes the longest letter. But it's perhaps the most relevant to us today. Thyatira is the most corrupt church, and it gets the most severe letter. As a child, my parents would often say, Paul, do this. Paul, don't do this. Paul, do this. Paul, don't do this. And occasionally they would say, Paul David Dale, come here right now. I was like, oh, okay. That is the kind of tone of this letter. It is severe. Because these people claim to love God. These people claim to love other people, but they have no morality, no discernment, and they tolerate everything. The key verse is verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate. You accept. You allow. You endorse that, that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants, my children, my precious children, into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. That's the issue. That this church has become like the world. It thinks like the world. It acts like the world, especially when it comes to sex. Uh, Tim Keller says, there's never been a culture in our history that's so obsessed with sex and our culture is today, and he is right. As we sit here today, pornography is still the, is still the most viewed content on the internet. We are, are pumping and piping all these disgusting images into our homes, our devices, our brains. 85% uh, of couples today cohabit and have sex before marriage. It's just normal. 29% of couples have sex on their first date. 65% of, of teenagers will have sex by the end of high school. And on Christian dating sites, on Christian dating sites, 63% said they would have sex before marriage. That's how we think today. We have a sex-crazed culture. It's confused. It is broken. And there's chaos everywhere. As a pastor, I sit and listen to people who are damaged and broken and hurting. So much pain and shame. And the, the problem is our, our world has such a low view of sex. Our world says it's just sex. You know, you eat, you drink, you have sex. It's just normal. And God says it's not just sex. Sex is this beautiful gift from God. God in his wisdom, in his grace, made us male and female in his image. And he made us with these sexual desires that are good and right and proper and beautiful. And then he puts boundaries around it. And says one man, one woman in marriage for life. And as soon as I say that, I'm labeled as intolerant and narrow-minded because our world just laughs at that today. 
We're going to talk about sex tonight. Let me have a quick pastoral word. I'm assuming there are people here tonight who, as I talk about sex, are racked with guilt and pain. Are either about some past experience or some present reality. If that is you tonight, the word that you need to hear from God is this. That Jesus loves you. That Jesus wants you to come to him to be forgiven, to be washed, to be cleansed and have that burden lifted from you. You need to hear that tonight. But as you've done that, as you come to Christ, he doesn't want you to stay as you are. He wants you to pursue holiness and purity and godliness. Let's start with Christ. Let's get our view of Christ right. Verse 18. Now, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. That's a surprise in verse 18, because every other church has, these are the words of him. But to the church in Thyatira, he adds the, the title, the Son of God. Because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has the authority, the, the deity. He is the Lord of all things. Now, of course, Jesus is your Savior, but he's also your Lord. He has the right to rule, the right to judge. Now, he's Lord of your entire life, your work life, your home life, your leisure life, and your sex life. We're told in verse 18 that he has eyes like blazing fire, piercing, penetrating eyes. The kind of person when they look at you, you're thinking, you're looking right into my soul. That is Jesus Christ. He he sees everything about you. He he sees through your Sunday mask. He sees through the facades. He, He sees what you think about, what you fantasize about. He sees what you do behind closed doors. Because with Jesus Christ, there's no public, private divide. He sees everything. Eyes like blazing fire, feet like burnished bronze. A bronze is a mixture of, of iron and copper. It's strong, it's incorruptible. He has this power to judge, this purity in judgments. That's the Christ of Thyatira. He's Lord. He sees everything, he has the right to judge everything. He has eyes that you can't hide from, he has feet that you can't run from. His eyes can't tolerate evil. And his feet are too holy to walk amongst wickedness. And so when John encounters this risen reigning Lord Jesus, he falls at his feet. He's in awe. He's in wonder. He's in adoration. And this is the Christ who holds on to this church and holds on to your life. I just want to start by saying, church, please don't mess with this Lord Jesus. Please don't think you can pull the wool over his eyes. Please don't play games with him. He's Lord, Judge, King. But there's something good in this church. He commends them for their commitment. See that in verse 19? Don't skip over verse 19. Don't just read the bad stuff. There is some good stuff here. He says, I know your deeds. I know you're a church that are doing lots of stuff. There's heaps of stuff happening in Thyatira. They've got aged care ministries and kids' church and youth church and alpha courses and welcoming teams. He says, well done. I know your love, verse 19, you love God and you love people well, you care for people well, there's meal rosters and pastoral care teams. I know about your faith, verse 19, you have this great faith in God, you're committed to gathering, you have your Bibles under your arms, you do connect groups and central prayer meetings, you have deeper courses, well done church. I know about your service, 
This was not a church full of passengers. Everyone knew they were, had a part to play. I know about your perseverance, verse 19. You are keeping on going with the Lord despite hardships and heartaches and persecution and pain. He says, well done. It's a great church, isn't it? It's friendly, it's serving, it, it's caring, it, it's loving. It's the type of church you think, I, I want to be part of that. And friends, I do see those things here at the Bridge Church. I do see those things. I think we are a church that's pursuing faith and love and service. That, that's why I love being part of this church. I want to say, well done. I can't think of a church I'd rather be part of. And I love the end of verse 19, that you are now doing, doing more than you did at first. I love that bit. It's amazing that these Christians are, are growing more and more and more. Way too many Christians I know start off enthusiastically. And then they kind of burn out in their early 20s and then semi-retire in their 30s. And then they coast in their Christian life in their 50s, 60s and 70s to reach glory. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is that you keep on growing more and more and more like Christ until you day you meet him face to face. I mean, the Christian life is like a, a bicycle ride up a mountain. You've got to keep pedaling. You've got to keep growing. You've got to keep learning. You've got to keep loving. As soon as you go to coastal mode, you head backwards. So church, I want to say, well done. Let's be like verse 19. This is the kind of church we want to be. But we don't want to be a verse 20 church. We really don't want to be a verse 20 church. Jesus condemns them for, his, for their tolerance. You see that verse 20? With his x-ray eyes, he sees something in his church which is so dangerous, so disastrous, like a cancer. It's called tolerance. Never, I have this against you. You tolerate, you accept, you allow this, this woman, Jezebel. You're naive, he's saying. You're undiscerning. You're blindly affirming everything and everything, including sexual immorality. And that is not good. Have you heard people say, uh, Jesus loves you just the way that you are? That is true. I hope you know that, that Jesus doesn't say to you, clean up your life, sort out your mess, and then you can come to me and I'll accept you and I'll love you. He says, come to me as you are, in all your mess, all your pain, and I'll love you and accept you. But that's not the entire gospel. Once you've come to Jesus, Jesus loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you as you are. He wants to change you and transform you. He wants you to conform you to the likes of Christ. He wants you to pursue holiness. He wants you to be sanctified. What was God's will for you, 1 Thessalonians 4? It's God's will that you are not happy, but holy. And so church, we're supposed to be a community that's distinct from the world. And that's the problem in Thyatira. They tolerated things inside the church that should never have been tolerated. This woman Jezebel, it's not her real name, probably it's a nickname. But just the name Jezebel should send chills down your spine. She is probably the most wicked woman in the entire Bible. Read two kings, wife of Ahaz. Uh, she was a murderer. She worshipped the fertility god. She endorsed temple prostitution. She was ruthless, she was immoral, she was a seducer of people. She's, she's a kind of woman that they'd make a Netflix docu documentary about today. She, she's that bad. And the issue is this. 
Not that she's bad, but she's in the church. She's standing up in church and she's teaching. Nothing wrong with teaching, but it's what she's teaching. She's teaching untrue. She is leading people, misleading people, uh, the children of God, into sexual immorality. She's teaching things that the world would teach. And so the church is beginning to look like the world in terms of their sexual ethics. Uh, the word for immorality there in verse 20 is the word porneia, where we get a word pornography from. It's all kinds of misuse of sex. It's adultery, fornication, fantasy, pornography, homosexual activity, and abuse. All the things that God says are not good, and this woman is teaching they are good. And you imagine the church in Thyatira, and Jezebel is saying to the, to the, to the businessman, Oh, it's fine as you go down your business trip. Go to a strip club, God, God won't mind. Go to a prostitute, God won't mind. Of, of course you should sleep around before marriage, try before you buy. This is AD 90, not AD 33. Times have moved on now. And this behavior is tolerated in the church. It reminds me of Corinthians. Remember the book of Corinthians with 1 Corinthians chapter 5? There's a man in Corinth in the church, and he's sleeping with his mother-in-law or his stepmother. And he's walking to church every Sunday, and people are high-fiving him rather than being horrified. And God says his words in 1 Corinthians 5, What business is it of yours to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? So please don't mishear me. Don't go out and go, tut, 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 tut. How, how awful are those people outside this church? They're sleeping around and they're immoral. Those people don't claim to know Christ, do they? So stop judging them. But inside God's church, we're called to be holy. We're called to actually love each other enough to say the hard things. Remember, sex is a great gift from God, but it's to be used wisely and rightly. And I want to say that I do think sexual immorality is the number one area where we as a church compromise. How can I say that? Because I've pastored this church for 17 years. And I have the honor and privilege of sitting with people as they pour out their hearts. Uh, couples after couple after couple whose marriages are being crippled by addiction to pornography. Not just the men, but the, the women as well. Uh, couples where one has had a flirtatious affair. It may not be sexual, but there's been emotional dependency on someone who's not their spouse. Countless men that I've sat with who have visited prostitutes. As though that's normal. Porn is everywhere. 68% of church-going men look at porn regularly. 38% of church-going women look at porn regularly. 50% of pastors look at porn regularly. That's just a reality. And I sit with, with men who are same-sex attracted, and, and these men are striving to be pure and celibate and honoring to Jesus, and it's other Christians who are saying, you can't possibly do that. Go on, just be yourself. I think of couples who are just saying, it's not possible not to have sex before marriage. It's just not possible as though the Holy Spirit is not able to equip you. I was single and celibate until I was 40. It is possible. 
I want to say I'm so proud. I'm so proud of the people in this church who strive for purity, who strive to honor God in the area of their sexuality. Good on you. See, it's damaging, isn't it, church? It damages you, it damages other people, it damages God. And we shouldn't tolerate it. Rather than tolerate, the word in verse 21 is to repent. I've given her time to repent of her immorality. To stop it, to turn around. I love the heart of God. Our God is is so full of mercy, so full of compassion. He weeps over immorality. That's the tone there. I've given her time to repent. Please repent. Please repent. But she's not willing. If you're here tonight and you are caught, if you're trapped in immorality... The Bible says, flee, flee from it, run away from it, avoid it, and not even a hint of it. Now, if you're here tonight and like you have, if you've got a food allergy, you know if you've got a food allergy, you don't even dabble with that food because it's bad for you. Same with sexual immorality, just don't go there, you know it's bad for you. I've been in Australia now for 20 years. In my second, second year here, I renamed the summer in Australia. And I renamed it the, the ice to the pavement season. <laughs> Just keep looking down. Because there's so much temptation. It's all around us. But please not in God's church. Now, Jesus gave her time to repent, verse 21. But she didn't. And because of that, our Lord Jesus judges her. Verse 22, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways and I will strike her children dead. These are terrible verses. These are difficult verses. They are horrible verses. Our Lord Jesus Christ has every right to judge. He will cast Jezebel on a bed. Note the irony there. Not a bed of pleasure, but a bed of pain, a bed of suffering. The the suffering there is probably syphilis because syphilis was rife in the first century. He says, you want sexual freedom? See what will happen. And the others who commit adultery with her, they will suffer. They will suffer from a a relationship with God that is less than it could be or should be. They will not enjoy the blessings that they could because they're leading this double life. And I see it all the time, these Christians who are almost schizophrenic. They're in church on Sundays and they're dabbling with porn on Mondays and you're not going to live the life that you could live if you're doing that. In verse 23, I will strike her children dead. That's not literal. He's talking there about spiritual death, the second death. He's saying a church that slips into immorality that tolerates that, within a generation or within two generations, there'd be no gospel there. That is true. Countless churches in the UK and in Australia who have just tolerated immorality in the church and within a generation they've lost the gospel. So I want to plead with this church, don't tolerate it. For your good, for others' good, and for God's honor and glory. So here's the challenge. Hold fast to Christ. I love verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I love that. He's saying these lies, these deceptions of the evil one. He's lulling you into lies. But Jesus says, I will not impose any burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. 
Love, verse 25, is what we need to hear, what every Christian needs to hear. We don't need to hear legalism. Please don't be a Pharisee. I, I'm not going to stand here tonight and give you rules in order to be sexually pure. Way too many churches teach that. Way too many churches say the way to avoid immorality is to create laws and rules. Do this, don't do this. Look at this, don't look at this. You can do this, but it never works. It's utterly exhausting. But what does work is verse 25. Hold on to what you have. What do we have? You have the the risen, reigning, all-powerful, ever-present Lord Jesus Christ who's living you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You've got everything you possibly need to pursue purity. And I've found as a pastor that the more people love Jesus, the more people are in love with Jesus, the more people trust Jesus and fix their eyes on Jesus, the less the temptation of this world become. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship with Christ. It's Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to Christ. Feast on Christ and he will equip you and enable you to fight and fight and fight against immorality. So don't just flee from things, but flee to Jesus, run to Jesus. That's the challenge. John Piper says, you must fight fire with fire. The fire of lust's pleasures must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. And he's right. Fix your eyes on Jesus, hold on to Jesus. And the promise is there, verse 26 to the one who's victorious, the one who keeps on trusting Jesus. We will rule, we'll have the authority to rule. And verse 28, I will also give that one the morning star. What's the morning star? Remember your school days, the answer's always at the back of the book. Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the bright morning star. He says, you'll get me. You'll see me, you'll have intimacy with me. Intimacy with Christ is the best possible intimacy better than any possible human intimacy. So pursue purity. Be holy. You may not be praised by the world, but you'll get praised by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to honor you, brothers and sisters. I want to honor the people here in this church who are pursuing purity, who are striving to be pure, striving to be godly. God sees you. God knows you. And he'll say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to celebrate a brother in Christ right now who is doing that, a hearer of mine, a hearer of the faith, who's pursuing purity in this area. So we're going to hear Justin. Justin's an intern at our church, and he's pursuing to be godly in a world that says, why bother? Let's hear from Justin. Good evening, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name's Justin. I've been a member here at 7 p.m. for three years, and um, it's been an absolute joy, and I'm just so thankful for the way that this community has welcomed me. And, um, yeah, thanks, Paul, for your your words just then as well. So sexuality. um, This area has been one that's been very difficult for me um, and still is very, at times, very difficult for me. Um, that's because I experienced strong and physical, sorry, strong sexual and physical attraction towards members of the same sex. 
And so there's parts of within me that just have this deep longing for intimacy, for affection and affirmation with other men. Uh, and that has been my daily experience for about 20 years or so, uh, you know, since uh, 11, 12, 13, around that age. And it's certainly been the most tough part of my journey. And I say all this knowing that sexuality is not easy for anyone. In all the conversations I have with people, it's, it's not easy. I understand that. Um, but I do argue that those who have an atypical attraction, like myself, um, have it a bit harder. Um, and while they're the same commands in the Bible for, for all of us, you know, on holiness and purity, um, the same sex attracted hear the call um, on, the, on holiness quite differently in that they have no, and we have no, um, a feasible way of ever being able to express our desires and our attraction and, uh, yeah, in, in, any, in any shape. And, um, yeah, there's not even that kind of, you know, if you are single and you are looking for a partner, there's, that's kind of not even a hope for, for many of us. Um, and so while sadly this is a truth that many people, you know, LGBTIQ+, the whole, the whole range of us, um, hear that more difficult calling, we have been a people group who have, uh, when we probably should have received more support, probably received the least support um, in this area. And so it's a great shame that there's so few of us around in church or, um, or open in church. And so before I want to go any further, I want to say a few really basic truths um, that are so true um, and that are so worth saying to anyone here that may be on, on that spectrum um, or experiencing attractions that are otherwise atypical. I want you to know that you are welcome here and you are not alone and you are deeply and wholly loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer that you will feel a sense of belonging here among God's people and that if you haven't already that you will have an encounter with the love of Jesus for yourself. And so while it's certainly been difficult for me at times, I'm just so thankful for the way that God has held on to me and continues to hold on to me. So hopefully, I know it's already gone long today, but I want to share a few quick things that have helped me on my journey. And the first really important thing is just to meet and spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, working through issues in sexuality can get really messy. And there's some really deep emotions at play, some of which we know about and we kind of work out as we go, but there's so many that's just unknown as well and we don't understand why we're, we're feeling certain ways. Um, and sometimes it feels like things are easy, but sometimes it feels like things are really hard. But at all stages of my journey, meeting with Jesus has just been so important in just talking to him about all this stuff, all the mess. Um, you know, and so my encouragement is to air out all your grievances, all your questions, all your frustrations. Just be completely honest. He can take it. I have journals full of basically temper tantrums and more swear words that I would care to, to share. And I was horrified at them. But that's okay. God, God understands. And Paul said it as well. He knows us deeper than we know us. He knows our longings deeper than we know them. And um, so just talk to him. And spend time in, in his word. Um, study what it says for yourself. Work out what it says. Um, uh, or, you know, just spend some time with Jesus playing worship music. Just dwell under him. Meeting with him is just so important. Um, yeah, God's word is just, yeah. It's, while the church I've found to be quite limited in this space, and um, 
I think it was about four or five years after becoming a Christian that I actually heard someone talk about this for the first time. Um, but then it was even then quite limited. Um, but while the church may have not been so great at this historically, God is so great and he's so, he has such profound depth and insights in his word to share. And so, yeah, get into his word. And the second really important thing is to share uh, and meet with his people. Trying to get through this Christian life we know is super tough. And meeting with God's people, especially in this area of uh, sexuality, might be really awkward. It might be really difficult and it might take years or a long time for it to bear fruit, but it's still just, it's so significant. Keep on trying. Um, God has not designed us to journey in anything alone, especially something like this. And I can stand here today on the strength and the unconditional love that a few brothers and sisters I've had over the years who've just upheld me in prayer and supported me, and I'm just so thankful for that. Because even I just said, you know, meet with Jesus, that's really important to do. There were times where I couldn't do that to... My Bible felt like it weighed 15, 20 kilos and I, I came into church and I would feel like physically ill and I couldn't sit through a sermon. I felt nauseous. I had to leave and I'd really ran out of spiritual strength, of spiritual faith. Um, yet God provided me with people that were so kind to meet with me, read, read the Bible with me. And um, it's through that their strength and through God's provision that I got through. And the last really important thing for me is to, um, is to dwell in God's promises. Um, yes, there's a lot of pain I experience in not being able to exp uh, express my sexuality in the way I want and to explore it, but to be apart from Jesus would be far, far worse. So um, Psalm 73 is one of my favourite uh, passages of scripture that's just given me so much strength, and there's so many others I could share, but... Um, Psalm 73, let me just read a few verses from it. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I remember there was one particular time at university where I was just feeling so empty and so not knowing how to go on further. But that last part, God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. I'm just walking around just saying that to myself. And just, yeah, that truth and that promise that God is our strength. And even though that portion, I think portion's a great word there because so often I've not been able to describe what in me that feels like is missing, but I think portion really sums that up well, that he is a strength in all those parts of us, even those we don't understand. And then there's so many other promises that we have from scripture, and Ephesians 1 is just so brilliant, where God, you know, we have the promise that God, well, he chooses us, what's more, first of all, and he adopts us into his family, just these beautiful truths. He lavishes us with grace upon grace upon grace. And of course, he knows us and our desires deeper than we know ourselves. We can trust that he knows what's best for us and he's slowly taking us there. So it's when I sit under these promises, it brings everything back in perspective for me. And I wouldn't want to do life any other way but in the arms of our wonderful saviour. So that's part of my story.
Justin is a hero, just like many of you guys are heroes as we pursue holiness and pursue purity. Um, Steph, you want to come and join me? I mean, we're going to pray over Justin. Is that okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our dear brother, Justin. Thank you that you've adopted him and chosen him, that you have lavished him with your love and your grace. Thank you that you know him. You know every part of his life. You know him intimately. Thank you that you care for him. Thank you for the way that you've provided for him. Lord, this is tough. Living in this world is tough. And so we, we beg of you, Lord Jesus, would you keep on pouring out your daily provision in his life. May you be his portion. May uh, earth have nothing he desire besides you. And there's times when he is not able to walk himself or carry himself. May you provide the, the men and women to walk alongside him and to carry him. Father, we commit to you all in our gathering tonight who are grappling with same-sex attraction. And Father, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would, you would show them the promises of, the, of our Lord Jesus, that you'd equip them and enable them with everything that they need. For all in our gathering tonight who are striving for purity, and yet that battle is raging, the temptations are real, we pray, get behind us, Satan. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be the loudest voice in our lives. That you would not allow the temptation to rage, but you would replace that with these glorious and lavish promises of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to end tonight by praying what's called the prayer of preparation from the prayer book. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are, all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, Please cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord.